We welcome you to the Prudential Center, a packed house here in downtown Newark on this senior day of the Seton Hall Pirates and the 23rd ranked Villanova Wildcats. Rebound comes to McKnight. Gets it back out to Powell on the left wing. Powell, a dribble and a three. Got it! Pirates on the board first. A minute into this one. Powell from Trenton. Woo! What Trenton makes, the world takes. Now with Miles Powell against Phil Booth. 12 to shoot for the Pirates. Powell against Booth. 8 to shoot. Powell up top. Gets it to Kale. Left wing three is up. He got it! Seventy-three, sixty-five. It's an eight-point lead. One ten to go. Booth. Welcome everyone to another episode of Pirate Rewind. I am your host for this episode, Heaven Hill. Joined alongside me, we have the lovely, talented duo of Wilner Lewis and Michael Daly. It's always a movie. It's always a great time whenever we're on one of these together. So, fellas, how are y'all doing today? Hey, listen, man, I'm fantastic. I'm glad to be here for another Pirate Rewind. You know, with all the games that I've covered through WSU, I happen to cover a lot of significant games as well. Um, and I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be here with, with you two, of course, Heaven and Michael. And just overall, I mean, this is the game we're going to talk about. It was definitely a, a crazy game. You know, top of the line, 10 out of 10 game, man. It's, it's going to be great, man. I just realized that it was almost two and a half years ago at this point, which blows my mind, but I'm happy to be on with you guys. I can't believe it's two, almost two and a half years at this point. It was a great game and happy to go back in uh, memory time. Yeah, man. Like you said, time flies. With that being said, I mean, let's just, let's just set the stage for the, the game that we'll be discussing in this episode. So heading into this one, the Pirates were one and three in the last four games. You know, they were facing a three-game loser streak before knocking off number 16, Marquette, the game prior, 73-64 in that one. So the Pirates are trying to scrum together any sort of momentum possible heading into the Big East tournament. And now you have senior night, number 23 in the nation, Villanova, one of the biggest games, if not the biggest game of the season to that point. The Pirates, you know, with their backs against the wall, left it all on the line and notched a 79-75 victory where Gus Johnson delivered one of the most famous calls in Seton Hall history. Y'all know the one. I'm sure Will will include the audio, or excuse me, Joe will include the audio at some point in this podcast. But the Pirates knocked off their second-ranked team in a row, picked up a huge victory, big week for them. And, I mean, to, to start the episode – Let's just describe our roles for this game. So uh, I'll start. Me, you know, at the time, two and a half years ago, I was nowhere near the position I'm in now. Then I was I was just an AP. You know, I won't say just an AP because APs are, are integral to what we do at WSAU. I was an AP answering phones after the game for Hall Line, and it was just – insane experience to, to witness and be a part of you know I, as an AP I wasn't allowed to talk on air yet but you know watching the game with you guys and and getting the chance to witness you guys and your reaction I was still new to see all sports a little bit at the time but you know understanding 
the significance, obviously, of picking up a ranked win against Villanova, you know, just a national powerhouse and getting that chance to witness that with you guys, you know, will have this game etched in my brain forever and ever. So, Will, Michael, just sort of contextualize, you know, your roles for this game and your, your status at the station at that time. Well, I mean, at that point in 2019, I think I want to say it was before our election. So I don't think I was a station manager just yet, but it was still, I guess, around that point where we we're all kind of like figuring out, you know, what we're going to apply for and, and everything. But in terms of this game in particular, this game, of course, being Seton Hall's home win against Villanova in 2019, I was hall on one. So I was the main host for our pregame halftime and postgame coverage. Um, and like you had stated, heaven, and we're going to talk about it a little later, you know, probably right after this point, just this game was a huge, huge game for Seton Hall men's basketball at the time. And it was a game that they honestly really needed to win, you know, not only to regain momentum, but a couple of other things that were on the line as well for Seton Hall. Uh, but being on hall on one, it was probably, I would even say probably it is, I would say my favorite game being on hall line, just because of everybody was tuned into the game and how big the game was. We had a whole bunch of callers calling afterwards and we had a couple of <laughs> great hall line moments, Michael, in that one. So, you know, it was definitely a, a significant game and it was definitely a great game to be, uh, the hall line host for. For that game, I was Hall Line too. And I remember Wilner, there was such a weird feeling that entire week leading up to that game. And later I'll talk more about the feeling with the Marquette game. But this game, I, I don't necessarily know why Seton Hall likes to schedule their senior night against Villanova. But you know what? More power to them because it shows that the administrators in the athletics department, they have confidence in their squad and also it's a massive game so I respect the move it's a big time chess move every time they do it and for this game guys it was a 12 30 it was a 12 o'clock tip and hall uh pregame not hall line pregame for us started at 11 30 so I just remember having to get there so early that day preparing notes and then getting on air at 11 30 which really wasn't common at that point and in regard to my standing at the station at that point, I was a regular staff member like I am now. So it was really cool that every chance I got to get on air, just making the most of it and just having a blast. And that's what it was because the game itself was so meaningful. And at the time I was a freshman, there weren't too many freshmen who were getting placed on Villanova games on any type of on-air capacity. So I was very honored and privileged to be on there by our then sports director, Matt Ambrose. So I really was proud of myself, it, it, not in a cocky way, but just in a way that I just couldn't believe that I was there. And the fact that I was with Wilner and it was an amazing time, both pregame and having to run in to do the updates and working with our engineer for that game, Christopher Russo. So it was just a blast all around. And I'm glad you said that part towards the end, Michael, because I, I don't think it's like, you guys won't, won't big yourselves up, but, but I'll do it for you. You know, at that point in time, right, you know, because, I mean, the listeners don't know, but I know the work you guys put in before the basketball season has started, you know. So to, to put the work in, you know, over the summer, Michael in your case, and Will heading into your sophomore year as well, and then 
picking up all those covers over the fall and, and just making the most of every opportunity possible and then getting those whole line spots, you know, very late in the season, senior night against Villanova. Like, I mean, like you said, Michael, you know, Matt Ambrose wasn't just giving those out to, to anybody, you know, so you guys earned those spots and it was just so awesome to, to, to see you guys there. And at the time, I didn't understand the significance of your placement in those roles. Cause I'm just thinking, Oh, you know, you know, just, just another, I didn't think it was just another game, but you know, now sitting in the sports director chair and having to, to formulate schedules and whatnot in the future, like, you know, rewarding the people that deserve it is just so important and you guys deserved it then. And, you know, since then you, you've made the most of every opportunity and it's just so great to, to, to look back on something like that and, and see how far we've come. So, you know, just looking at our, our roles then and, and how much we've done in the, the two plus years since that game is, is crazy, crazy to think. So shifting gears now, to the significance of that game. I mean, I mentioned it already, but the Pirates were kind of, you know, topsy-turvy heading into postseason play, which you really don't want. You want to stack as much momentum as possible. They got the Marquette win on March 6th, heading into that Villanova game on March 9th. We're going to pose a question to you guys. You know, what was the feeling in or around this game? You know, was this game absolutely pivotal? for the Pirates to secure a spot in the NCAA tournament? Could they afford to lose today? You know, how significant was this for the overall season? You know, just the, the senior night sending off Michael Enzi, you know, on a good note. What were the vibes heading into this one? You can go, Walter. I think, you know, this, this season for Seton Hall was definitely – a very interesting season to say the least. And to give the listeners, you know, that recap of this particular season, the 2018-2019 season that we're talking about, you know, this is a Seton Hall basketball team that won the Wooden Legacy. You know, they're able to defeat Grand Canyon, Hawaii, and Miami. You know, that happened. This was a Seton Hall team that defeated Kentucky at Madison Square Garden. And I, that was at that point when, you know, Seton Hall fans and, and the national stage really started looking at South Florence, New Jersey, and really started recognizing, you know, the players that Seton Hall has in, you know, Miles Powell, Quincy McKnight, of course, Michael Lindsay, who was recognized in this uh, senior night ceremony that we're talking about. You had that. You had Seton Hall being able to defeat Rutgers after losing to Rutgers the year before, and you were able to get a, whole, a road win against Maryland all in December for Seton Hall. So, you had those wins, again, those two major wins for Seton Hall at the time, Kentucky, as well as on the road against Maryland. So you had that, and that kind of gave you those key wins that you needed into the NCAA tournament. And Seton Hall in Big East play, they, they started off, honestly, on the wrong side. They were able to win against Xavier. They were able to win against Butler, but they went on a four-game skid in January, which really hindered them. They're able to come back, win five of six. And then, like you talked about, having that three-game losing streak that Seton Hall had before going into that game at home against Marquette. With that loss, the last loss that they suffered in that losing streak at Georgetown, a double overtime loss that was very crushing for Seton Hall. So at that point, when they lost to Georgetown, it seemed like the world was collapsing for the Pirates. Because at that point, I remember 
it seemed like nobody believed that Seton Hall was going to be an NCAA tournament team anymore. At that point, it, everybody was kind of on the realm of, okay, this is going to be a Seton Hall team that's going to host an NIT game at, at either Walsh or the Prudential Center, whatever, you know, happens there, happens there. But it was, it was then where it was like, oh, if Seton Hall wants to make it to the NCAA tournament, they have to win one of the two in Marquette or Villanova and then make a run in the Big East tournament. So you get that win versus Marquette, a win that they were able to win pretty handedly, if you want to say that, 73 to 64. And then, of course, the game against Villanova. Now, to recap, the first matchup that season, Villanova put the pause on Seton Hall. There was no words around it. It was an absolute demolishing performance by Villanova. They were able to win that game 80 to 52. The largest lead Villanova had was 35 points. And it was it was just a bloodbath from this starting tip until the final whistle blew on the road in Pennsylvania. So having Villanova at home at for a senior night, it's like it, it's kind of dicey because you had that loss. You're still on that losing streak. Yes, you're able to win against Marquette, but what Seton Hall were we going to see at the Prudential Center for a senior night? And for Seton Hall to come out the way that they did against Villanova at home in their senior night against players like Eric Pasco, like Sadiq Bay, like Jermaine Samuels, Colin Gillespie, Phil Booth, like that roster that Villanova had was absolutely stellar. And this is a Villanova team that also came off of the national championship. We can't forget about that either. So it was the stars aligning for Seton Hall to get their momentum and make their case known that they deserve to be in the NCAA tournament. And they were able to do that again by, by the play of almost everybody on that roster that saw minutes. And we will get more into details about, you know, the, the statistics and how each player performed, but it was a huge game for Seton Hall for the NCAA tournament hopes for their hopes to finish 500 in conference play as well and for them to potentially get a good seeding in the Big East tournament and for them to make a run in the Big East tournament which were they were, they were able to do after getting that victory but it was a huge game to say the least I don't know if there's enough words in the English vocabulary to show how big this game was for Seton Hall but it was huge and they were able to get it done this was a massive game but I'm going to be a little different with my perspective on this than Wilner was because Wilner so eloquently broke down the entire season. I don't think this game per se was make or break. The reason why, and I'm sure we might get into the game before, I think the Marquette game, had they lost to Marquette, I think the season was over. I think any chances of them making the NCAA tournament were completely dashed unless they were to win the Big East tournament, which they didn't. But I think having that win allowed them to still play a meaningful game against Villanova. Don't get me wrong. It, everyone wanted to win that game. I think that Seton Hall, in a way, needed it, but not as much if they would have lost to Marquette. Because I just think at that point, when they played Marquette, they were 17 and 12. That's, that's a pretty tough sell for anybody getting someone into an NCAA tournament. So, I, I think the reason why that game was so important with Villanova, yes, there were implications on the line for the NCAA tournament and seeding in the Big East tournament, 
but I think it's because it's it's senior night and you're playing your biggest rival in Villanova. And you also have someone in Michael Enzi who went on to have a great game, 10 points, three rebounds. You want him to go off on the right foot. You don't want him to, to lose his final game at the Prudential Center against Seton Hall's arch nemesis, especially with the way that Sunday game in late January went that you explained, Wilner. That did not go well. And if I remember correctly, during that time, a lot of people around Seton Hall had high hopes for the Pirates heading into that Sunday game, but they just got blitzed. And in the season, it was up and down, kind of rocky. But the way they were able to close out the season with two wins is icing on the cake. But I think in terms of a must win, that March 6th game was must win. To me, and maybe I'm downplaying the win, I think it was more so icing on the cake instead of this has to happen against Villanova. I, I, I like that reasoning, you know, especially with Marquette being higher ranked at the time. It was definitely a, a bigger resume booster, and the Pirates won that game more convincingly. So, you know, being able to tack on a senior night win against your bigger rival, I could definitely see that being just icing on the cake, just, just a cherry on top, you know, to, to – end the regular season and, and head into the playoffs, or excuse me, the, the, the postseason, I should say, on a higher note. So switching gears now again, uh, let's discuss some some big moments from the game. You know, obviously, we know the miles from Trenton call, like that that call will be, you know, played on, on highlight reels and, and, you know, just etched in our memories for as long as we live. But what were some other turning points from that game that, that you guys identified? What the biggest thing was for the Pirates, heading into halftime with a lead, they led 39-28, and they found themselves as high of a 16-point lead over Villanova. The problem with that, though, is I think they let the foot off the gas, and that was the biggest turning point because any J, any J Wright squad – you never have enough room. You can never let up. And unfortunately for the Pirates in that season, they had moments where they were off to a great start in the first half, and then they would collapse in the second half. Or they would play a horrific first half, and then they look like a top-five team in the country in the second half. And a lot of people would say, oh, this is a second-half team. I don't necessarily know if, if you would want your team to be called that, but that's what they were. In this case, though... I am such a big proponent on being able to close out each half and, and playing a consistent brand of two-half basketball. That's important. The Pirates, I'm going to be honest, guys, to start out, the, or at least not to start out the second half, but in the middle of the second half, the momentum just went to the wayside, and they allowed guys like Eric Pascal to really work his magic inside, and they didn't have an answer for him halfway down the second half. That was problematic. And the biggest takeaway for me in terms of turning point, it just went to show that, and I said it a little bit, you can never count out Jay Wright. And this is no disrespect to Kevin Willard whatsoever, but you can make an argument that Jay Wright is a top 10 coach in the country for what he's done the last 20 years of Villanova. And because of his experience and the big time games that he's been in, being down 16 points to a Seton Hall squad, it's nothing. 
N- not to downplay it, but it's nothing. He's been there before he's done that. For Seton Hall, this was new to them at that point. When have they been up that big on Villanova? And I think it got to them. And that was a turning point. And I remember, guys, because I think we were sitting in the kitchen. I remember thinking to myself, if Seton Hall lost this game. You had that much momentum going your way. You had such a big lead. And then you're letting guys like Phil Booth and then Colin Gillespie. We could talk more specifically about guys, but there were players for Villanova that kicked up and Seton Hall defensively didn't have an answer until later in the stretch. Yeah, and I, Michael, I remember that season, like the back of my hand, just how many times Seton Hall would go up on a lead and then sell or, you know, come out flat and then try to come back. And, you know, sometimes that comeback will work. Sometimes the comeback wouldn't work. And I, I, I felt like there was that feeling for Seton Hall in that second half, you know, you were able to get out on a, on a good lead in the first half. You were able to kind of extend that lead a little bit to start off the second half, but you let your emotions get to you. You, you felt like, oh yeah, we played a solid 25 minutes of basketball. Let's, let's hope Villanova decides they want to fold over, but that is not Villanova. That is not Jay Wright. Like you had stated, Michael, that is not what, their brand of basketball is and you could even look at the splits for Villanova if you look at the box score in that second half Villanova shot 56 percent they shot 92 percent from the free throw line had Seton Hall not gone out and able to give Villanova a couple of good jabs in the first half it would have been an ugly game it would have been a a game that that Villanova would have won and we would have had a different conversation about the Seton Hall team you know, would that Seton Hall team even been able to even make a run in the Big East tournament after losing that and not having momentum? You know, it would have been a, a whole bunch of questions, but we're not playing the games of what ifs. We're playing the game of what happened. And what happened was that Seton Hall was able to get out on a lead and they were able to make Villanova have to work to come back. And Villanova was unable to ever come back. But one thing to also note, too, which was significant was Quincy McKnight did not have a great game by any stretch of the imagination. And I guess this would also transition a little bit into our next point and, and, and potentially talking about, you know, key players, Quincy McKnight, we known him for his defense and Quincy McKnight was a, a glue guy for Seton Hall more so the year after, but this year as well in the 2018, 2019 season, Seton Hall needed him in that starting lineup. And for him to, to get into foul trouble early, he only played 16 minutes. It would have been easy for, you know, other players to potentially not step up. But you had Shavar Reynolds, you had Anthony Nelson who played, you know, some minutes. You had Jared Roden who also played some minutes as well. And the fact that Seton Hall was able to at least still have help from their bench unit to at least prohibit Villanova from going out on a bigger lead or going out on a bigger run, you know, you got to give credit to that. But again, the fact that Seton Hall was able to get out on the lead in that first half and just make it a little bit more difficult for Villanova to come back because Villanova was not that deep of a team either. So you would have to hope that that starting five for Villanova would got tired and kind of did, kind of didn't. But Seton Hall was still able to come out victorious because of the way that they were able to perform in that first half. Yeah, I mean, I think you guys summed it up to say the least. There were a bunch of turning points in that game. I mean, like Michael said, the Pirates went up 16 at one point, and, you know, it looked like things were steering well into the Pirates' favor. But like you both said, 
this is a Jay Wright team. He's one of the best coaches in the nation. You know, they, they were never just going to go out easily. You know, Villanova responds to that with a 13-0 run. You know, at that point, both teams trading baskets. Pirates go up 50 to 45. Then you get back-to-back threes from Jerry Roden and Miles Powell. You know, sandwiched around uh, Sandro just, like, absolutely eviscerating a, a dunk attempt. I should say from Jermaine Samuels, I believe the three from Powell was the, the Miles from Trenton call. And then, you know, from there, the lead was cut to a point with under four minutes to go. And, and then Seton Hall went on a 7-0 run of their own, stretched it to eight. And Villanova just clawing back, cut it to three. I mean, it was just back and forth. Like, this is is really what Big East basketball is all about. You know, just a rock fight. You know, neither team willing to surrender, neither team willing to go easy. You know, like you guys said, we can't state this enough. Villanova defending national champions. You know, like, yeah, they, they lost a few players, you know, quite a few. I believe Josh Hart left as well. I mean, it was a very new team, but this is a team with championship pedigree. They still have, you know, Colin Gillespie, Jermaine Samuels, like you said, Phil Booth. Well, I mean, just this was a loaded squad with championship pedigree. They were not going to go out easy, and they won the chance to play spoiler on Seton Hall senior night. And the Pirates just did not give them that chance to do so in, in what was a game for the books. So, Will, you mentioned uh, Jared Roden, or excuse me, Quincy McKnight, in terms of key players for this game. McKnight, you know, might not have had the best performance. But looking at uh, key players for the Pirates, who did you guys identify, you know, as those those valuable guys that really stepped up to, to lead the squad to victory in this one? I think you have to look at, at the way that Miles Kale was able to perform. And, you know, 2018, 2019, that season, you know, Miles Kale was, was a, a solid performer, but at that time you're only a sophomore. So you're not really expecting that huge of a role out of Miles Kale. Yes, he was in the starting lineup, but you know, you're not really expecting that much out of him only in that season. You know, he averaged you know 10 points per game, but, Again, you're not expecting that much out of Miles Kale. You're expecting that much. You're expecting more out of, you know, the Quincy McKnight's, the Michael Enzies, uh, the Miles Powell. And Miles Powell had himself a, a pretty good game. He was a leading scorer with 20 points, but only shot far for 14. And, I mean, we could talk – that's a separate conversation, a separate podcast on a separate day to talk about just the way that Miles Powell, you know, used to perform in a Seton Hall Pirates uniform. But, you know, the fact that Miles Kale was able to – come out the gates and able to just shoot from behind the arc the way that he did it was tremendous I mean he only made six field goals but all six of those field goals came from behind the arc and added on a free throw to finish with 19 points good for second on the squad and third overall in the game behind Colin Gillespie's 22 and Miles Powell's 20 so you look at Miles Kale and, and you you see that game out of him and then outside of that, you go to the bench as well. Jared Roden, like we had stated, you know, he had himself a great game as well. 15 points on an efficient four for seven, three for four from behind the arc and four for four from the charity stripe. Again, with Quincy McKnight being in foul trouble, you had to go into your bench a little bit more. You know, Miles Kale playing extended minutes. You're going to try to see if you get some minutes out of, out of Shavar Reynolds and Anthony Nelson. But, you know, you, you, you shift around the lineup and you have Jared Roden coming in and he's playing at three position or he's playing that 
forward position that, you know, maybe normally Miles Kale would probably play, but you again, shift the lineups when Powell's going to play the one, Kale's playing the two, Ronan comes in to play the three, Mamu with the four, and Enzi with the five, or, or something like that. So to have Jared Roden come in and in 13 minutes get 15 points is exceptional out of him. And I think overall, Seton Hall really needed the performances from, again, almost everybody that touched minutes because it was a, a balanced attack for Seton Hall in a season where everybody was like Miles Powell and the rest of the crew. To have the rest of the crew perform the way that they did, again, Miles Kale with 19, Jared Roden off the bench with 15. You even have Sandrew was able to get 12 and Michael Lindsay was able to get 10 to have everybody else play the role that they did. And that's not even to mention the 18 rebounds that Sandra Mount really was able to get. So to have everybody else perform well was needed for Seton Hall. But if I had to go with maybe one or two players, I would have to say Miles scale with just the way that he was able to perform behind the arc and Jaron Roden getting quality minutes off the bench was two contributors that Seton Hall really needed to get that victory. Guys, what I want to emphasize here is that because Seton Hall won the game, there is one talking point that I think was avoided, rightfully so. Quincy McKnight had one point in that game. And I remember during Hall line, people were kind of complaining, but it, it wasn't that loud because the Pirates won the game. So I think had the Pirates lost, he, he would have been – it would have been a problem for Quincy McKnight a lot of people would have complained, and I understand it, but also, though, Quincy McKnight, what he did the next year, I think made up for it. But in terms of people who stood out in that game, I'm going to go with one person, and that was Jared Roden. The reason why I'm picking Jared Roden, and you touched on it, Wilner, he wasn't supposed to have this good of a game against a Villanova team who was the reigning defending national champion. The reason being... The guy averaged 3.4 points per game on the season, including that game as well. That was into his average point total. So that just went to show, although he had minutes on the floor throughout the season, he wasn't really a producer. I could pick someone like a Miles Kale because Miles Kale, although he had 19 points in that game, the guy averaged 10.2 points per game. And I'll go on record to say this, and hopefully I'm wrong with this upcoming season. The 2018-2019 season was Miles Kale's best season to date as a Pirate. Maybe not statistically, but in terms of being consistent, I think it was. And in a game like this, that showed why he was a four-star recruit coming out of Delaware. Because in the biggest moment on a nationally televised game on Fox, where you have the biggest announcers, it's a sold-out crowd on senior night. That's why you bring on a Miles Kale to your program. So the reason why I'm not going with Miles Kale as my MVP per se is because Seton Hall brought him there to have a game like that. Jared Roden out of Baldwin, New York, I think the Pirates expected him to be a quality player. But as a freshman, 15 points? My God, that, that was remarkable, Wilner. And, and the thing, too, that I, I don't know why this completely lost my mind, but Jared Roden, like you had stated, was a freshman, so you're not expecting that many minutes out of him due to the roster that Seton Hall had. But it was kind of towards this back half of that season when you looked at Xavier, St. John's, Georgetown, Marquette, Villanova, where I started coming on to Jared Roden a little bit more. Now, 
in the double overtime loss against Georgetown. You know, Jared Roden was at, at fault for, you know, having that loss where he had the ball underneath the basket and could have potentially easily laid it up, but I either lost a layup. He mishandled the ball one way or another. Evidently did not score, and, and Seton Hall lost that game. But it was at that around those stretch of games where Jared Roden started to perform well. And for a freshman, when you – when you have your team suffer a loss by your hands, the way that it happened for Jared Roden in that Georgetown game, it's easy enough for either the coaching staff or for yourself to kind of mentally not be in it and mentally just, you know, be winded. Because again, at that point, Georgetown wasn't really that great of a team and, and Seton Hall NCAA tournament hopes were on, on a, on a string. You feel me? So for Jerry Roden to, to come out in the way that he did, again, with, with a sold-out Prudential Center, with all the eyes on him, like you had stated, Michael, the best announcers, Gus Johnson being on the call, and you're getting extended minutes because one of your teammates is in foul trouble. For Jerry Roden to, to come into that light as a freshman after having that performance against Georgetown, for him to come out 13 minutes, 15 points was exceptional to see. And again, you could probably credit that stretch and maybe even that game as the first game that everybody was like, okay, this Jared Roden guy, he might be special for Seton Hall. It was a coming out party, Heaven. Sorry, I just wanted to jump in. That was his coming out party. Oh, no, nah, yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. And and it's, it's crazy that you mentioned that. Well, I mean, it's not crazy, but, you know, getting that from him, you know, like career high, 15 points. He, he showed in his freshman season that he just has a knack for those for those big games, those big moments. And we saw it time and time again. I mean, the, the, the next season, he had that late clutch three-pointer on the road when we played or uh, when the Pirates played Butler. I believe they were ranked like top five at the time. And, you know, we've seen him this past year and what he was able to do. I mean, like Jared Roden is that guy. So it's kind of crazy to, to talk about his performance in this game two and a half years ago, dang near, to now he's heading into his senior season, you know, as the, the lead guy on the team. You know, it, it goes to show, you know, the, the work that he's put in, you know, to himself and, and the, the dedication that he's shown. But as far as my most valuable player for this game, I'm going to go with Sandra Mamakelishvili. You know, I feel like he didn't have the, the gaudy point totals that Miles Kale or Miles Powell had, you know, or even Colin Gillespie for the, the, the Wildcats, but 18 rebounds, man, like 10 offensive rebounds by himself. He had more offensive rebounds by himself than the Wildcats did as a collective, you know, just 18 rebounds. The Wildcats grabbed 30, you know, as a whole, like, he was just a vacuum on the glass. And I think, you know, that effort, that intensity on the boards is, is what really boosted the Pirates, you know, over the edge, you know, just providing those extra possessions. You know, it, it looked like he channeled Angel Delgado in that one. Just 13 second chance points off those rebounds. The Pirates out-rebounded the Wildcats 35 to 30 in that one. I mean, it just goes to show, you know, the shots may be falling, you know, Miles Powell may be wowing the crowd and, you know, but at the end of the day, an offensive rebound can, can just suck the life out of a team, like just absolutely kill all sorts of momentum. And, and we saw that, 
throughout the game. You know, Villanova made runs time and time again, but they never was able to, to, to tie it. You know, they were never able to, to, to draw even, you know, when they got the game within one point. Like, they were never able to get any closer than that. And that was, in my opinion, because of Sandro and his work on the boards, just killing Villanova's momentum. You know, you think you get a defensive stop, and then there was Mamu just vacuuming a rebound, creating a second-chance possession for his team. And he helped the Pirates come out on top. You know, so while we've identified big players for the Pirates in that one, you know, Sandro, Roden, Miles Kale, Will, I'm glad you gave Miles Kale his flowers for this one. Miles Powell with 20.7 rebounds, five assists, three steals, just a masterclass from him. Who stood out for the Wildcats in this one? Who almost gave Villanova that victory on senior night? I will go with a combo if you guys don't mind. And if I pick anyone's pick, I apologize in advance. Colin Gillespie, 22 points against such a competitive Seton Hall squad. I don't think people understand how hard that is to do. On the road, virtually a sellout crowd that you're playing against. Almost everyone there is rooting against you. Yes, Villanova's not far away, I'm sure. There was a Villanova contingent, but you're in hostile territory as a sophomore. And this was Colin Gillespie's year to prove that he could fill in for guys like Dante DiVincenzo and Jalen Brunson because his freshman year, he took a back seat. That year, though, they needed him to step up and he did just that. So I mentioned a combo. My second pick is going to be Jermaine Samuels. The reason being, Eric Pascal down low, especially in college, and I think he's morphed into this as well, even though he's kind of undersized in the NBA, he's somebody who knows how to get rebounds. But Jermaine Samuels was very impressive that day, being able to box out. That's one thing I really remember, 10 points, 8 rebounds. A younger guy as well, and he, he really stepped up to the plate in that game. That's something that we need to remember because Wilner touched on it, and Heaven, you did as well. Sandro Mamoukalashvili, that season I felt like flew under the radar, but he was very impactful with his rebounding that game. So for Jermaine Samuels to be in the mud, in the thick of it, down low with Sandro Mamoukalashvili, as well as Michael Enzi a little bit too, for him to be so competitive with the Pirates, there was a good chance that if Jermaine Samuels kept finding a way inside he might have given the wildcats a victory yeah and i think you know that that's a solid two michael and i think you know you look at those two players to really to really be what villanova needed to to keep this game close and to come back from that deficit that they had faced early on in that second half because that that front court for villanova i would say as a whole i mean Eric Pascoe and Sadiq Bay, you know, those are two NBA players, which is, you know, crazy to think about that Seton Hall played two NBA players that are getting quality minutes in the NBA in that 18-19 season. I mean, of course, Phil Booth, you know, he, he went undrafted, but saw some NBA time um, as well. And Lord knows that Jermaine Samuels and Colin Gillespie is probably going to be in the NBA, you know, come after this, uh, after this coming season. But I will say that front court for you know Villanova is really what helped them out because this is a, a Seton Hall team. We got to remember in 1819, there was no Romaro Gill, there was no you know 
Ike Obiagu. This was a very undersized team. Yes, Ike Lindsay and Sandra Mamakelis really could do what they could do, but, you know, it, it really didn't help out. And outside of that, you know, on the bench, you don't really have that much size outside of those two. So to have the front court of Eric Pascal, of Sadiq Bey, of Jermaine Samuels, you know, being able to perform the way that they did, you know, Colin Gillespie, yes, he was able to get 22 points on an efficient eight for 12 shooting and was able to draw fouls as well, which was, you know, very key for Villanova to, or for Villanova to come back. Because again, Quincy McKnight, like you had touched on Michael, only one point and was in foul trouble. A majority of the game was, had that five personal fouls. A lot of those fouls came because he was guarding Colin Gillespie. So I think overall, I think I will, I would have to go with your two as well, Michael and Colin Gillespie and in Jermaine Samuels, but also Eric Pascal. I mean, he only saw the bench for three seconds in that game and, and try to do what he could do to, to really route Villanova back, was efficient at the free throw line, was able to grab some rebounds, was able to draw fouls as well when he drove in down low. So if I had to go somebody else, I'll go Eric Pascal. But I, I think, you know, Colin Gillespie and Jermaine Samuels was definitely two players that, that really helped out this Villanova squad in 2018-2019. And those are two names that, that Seton Hall fans are going to have to hear for this coming 2021-2022 season. So it, it's crazy to think about just their impact on the Villanova squad, you know, two and a half years ago to what they're probably going to be this upcoming year. Yeah, I mean, you guys pretty much summed it up. You know, Villanova, like I said earlier, they've been that team with championship pedigree and, and one of the best coaches in the nation. You know, when it comes down to, to getting nitty gritty, if you will, you know, the, their players will always just find that extra motivation. And Eric Pascoe, Jermaine Samuels, they both had eight rebounds, really just made it tough down there for, for Mamu. They, they brought that effort out of him, you know, and, and it wouldn't surprise me if Jermaine gets picked in the NBA draft in, in 2022, you know, because he just has that, that shot making ability that, that NBA teams want. And Eric Pascal, I mean, well, like you said, he's already on an NBA roster. So those guys really made their, their presence felt on, on the interior, you know, throughout the game, Colin Gillespie, you know, knocking down shots, Phil Booth chipping his 16 points of his own. Looking at this, this lineup now, man, like, this is this is what Big East basketball is all about, you know, just trusting your, your your top five, six, seven guys, you know, not really deviating too much from the rotation. You know, outside of Joe Cremo and, and Demir Cosby Roundtree, you know, they really didn't go to their bench like that. Those guys only got, you know, 16 and 11 minutes respectively. So, you know, Villanova, same with the Pirates. They both trusted their guys, played them, you know, for 35 plus minutes that night. And, you know, at the end of it, only, you know, the Pirates were, were named the victor. So transitioning now, focusing on both this win and the previous win against Marquette, how would you guys say this win affected our momentum heading into the Big East tournament? And do you think these games were just a, a direct propelling of sorts, you know, for the Pirates to pick up two more wins in the tournament and advance to the championship? I think it definitely was because it, it, I feel like it's hard for you, let's say if they would have lost those, those two first year, you're getting seated in potentially that first day where, where it's a 7-10, 8-9 matchup. So you, so you have that. You're going to play an extra game. You're, you're just not in it mentally. You know, if you were to suffer those two losses, even I feel like if you were to suffer the Villanova loss, 
you know, you just wouldn't be in it mentally and, and it will be hard. And, and you look at those games that Seton Hall had played in the Big East tournament against Georgetown, against Marquette, against Villanova. I would say those three games were probably three of the, the better games that we have seen or, or at least memorable games that we have seen in recent Seton Hall basketball history. You have that Georgetown game where Miles Powell had had a, a record-setting first half, and, you know, it was it was a gut check down the stretch as, as we talked about, you know, Seton Hall being a first-half versus second-half team. You know, Seton Hall was able to get out on that lead early against Georgetown by way of Miles Powell, and then in the second half it was kind of by committee that Seton Hall was able to keep that lead, and and Miles Powell kind of kind – of, filtered out a little bit of that offense. You look at the Marquette game. I mean, that one was, was scrappy down the wire. The referees were, were blowing their whistles left, right, and center. We saw technical fouls. We saw Miles Powell running to, to the tunnel thinking that he, he fouled out and he's out the game, but then come back in and, and perform. And it was a, a two game or two point victory that Seton Hall was able to get. And then of course, seeing Villanova once again in the championship game, that game being wire to wire, but Seton Hall falling in that matchup, that one, you know, a couple of bounces going the Pirates' way, they, they could have potentially won that game and, and saw themselves being victors of, of the biggest tournament that year. But I think you winning those two games against Marquette, against Villanova, and also seeing a team that you, you suffered a heartbreaking loss you know, it's it's great that for Seton Hall, the three teams that they faced in the Big East tournament were three teams that they saw in the last three games of the regular season. So you definitely got to hope, you definitely could think that that helped out with strategy, that helped out with, you know, recency, memory, and just knowing, you know, these are the teams that we face. This is what they threw at us. This is how we're going to adjust. And Kevin Willard is a, is a solid coach. You know, he we, we talked highly about Jay Wright. You know, we definitely got to give, you know, some flowers to Kevin Willard as well. And, you know, the way that he's able to perform as a coach and definitely was able to, to make those adjustments to find them themselves, you know, winning those games in the biggest tournament. But I think had you had suffered losses either to Marquette or to Villanova or both, you know, you're, you're playing other opponents, you're playing opponents that, that definitely want to play spoiler and, you know, the, the, the whole ship could have been routed a different way for the Pirates. Had you lost those games, you probably would have been playing in the NIT tournament as well. So for Seton Hall, the fact that they were able to get those wins against Marquette and Villanova, I think was definitely important for them to go into the Big East tournament. You know, unfortunately, the seed that they got in the NCAA, in the NCAA tournament after playing the, the Big East tournament was, was unfavorable to say the least, but the fact that they were able to get out onto that run late in the season definitely helped out their case. My take on it is a little bit different. I think it was a double-edged sword because the Pirates shot themselves in the foot throughout the year, specifically February and the beginning of March. The reason why I say it's a double-edged sword is because beating Marquette on March 6th and Villanova on March 9th, you needed to, right? Because if you would have lost, like Wilner said, you're stuck Wednesday. And that's the bottom of the barrel. Good luck getting to Saturday if you're playing on a Wednesday. It's virtually unheard of. So that's a positive. The negative, though, why I say it's a double-edged sword is because, and this was my thought process when I saw the seeding that they were the third seed playing the sixth seed. I saw they were playing Georgetown 
And I went, mm, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know about that one. That might be a loss. That might be a first round loss or a first game loss for the Pirates because on March 2nd, they fell in double overtime in Washington, D.C., a game they should have won. And I think we can all we all can agree, if you remember correctly about that game, that was a game the Pirates let it slip out of their proverbial hands. Now I'm thinking, all right, you lose on the road. Now you're playing a neutral site game against Georgetown. That's going to be a tough one. And also, if you win that game, then you have to play the winner of Marquette St. John's, right? Why am I bringing that up? The reason why I'm bringing that up you better hope Marquette wins that game. And that may be crazy to say because Marquette was so good, but you beat Marquette a week before. You lost to St. John's almost three weeks earlier on Saturday, February 23rd. So imagine having to play St. John's again on their home floor again where you just lost. And oh, by the way, in December of that year, December 2018, you squeaked by with a Shavar Reynolds miracle at home. So at, if I was a Seton Hall fan, I would have been praying that the Pirates were able to get past Georgetown and played Marquette. And funny enough, that's how it worked out. Yeah, I mean, Michael, you mentioned it earlier how the, the Marquette game was, was, in your opinion, more important you know, than the Villanova game. You know, they were heading into that game again, with an opportunity to pick up a ranked win, coming off a three-game losing streak. And this Marquette game and the following Villanova game were opportunities to, to snatch momentum, you know, to, to grab that resume-building win. And, you know, on a sidebar, we saw the Pirates this past season, you know, get three bites of the apple playing, you know, Creighton, Villanova, and like three times in a row and they didn't win any of those games. So it just goes to show when you get back to back chances to snag a ranked win and, and really transform your season, like you just can't let that slip through your fingers, you know? So the Marquette game, you know, just insane ending, you know, the pirates were down, I believe 64 to 55 at one point. And then to go on an 18, nothing run down the stretch, you know, holding Marquette scoreless, for almost five minutes, you know, Miles Powell scoring 10 points of that 18-0 run just to, to steal victory from the jaws of defeat. I think that's just a crazy way to, <clears throat> excuse me, just a crazy way to head into senior night, you know, and then from there, you're riding high, just pulled off a win against one of the best teams in the nation off an 18-0 run, just a, a miracle even, and then you get your arch rival, in Villanova, you know, and the Pirates over the years have given the Wildcats the most trouble in the Big East. Like, that's just factually correct. You know, they've beaten Villanova more than any other Big East team has. You know, it seems like they have their number, you know, just constantly time and time again. And, you know, every game is competitive. They're all close. They're all scrappy. They're all just a rock fight, like I stated earlier. So being able to generate the momentum from that Marquette win, getting, you know, just a big victory, you know, tacking on, you know, that W to Michael, the ones that you stated earlier, you know, the road wins against Marquette and Creighton, you know, home Ws against St. John's, the, the MSG victory against Kentucky, you know, just tacking on that huge victory towards the end of the year against Marquette. And then, like you said, Michael, the cherry on top, 
getting that win against Villanova, just icing on the cake and a great way to head into the Big East tournament. And, you know, from there on, the rest is history. You know, we all remember where we were when Miles Powell absolutely took over the first half against Georgetown in the first round of the Big East tournament, or excuse me, the second round, so the Pirates got first round by. And then being able to beat Marquette again the second time in, in nine days, you know, by, by a two-point margin in that one to head to the tournament championship. And then they're, you know, unfortunately falling short against Villanova a week after playing them the previous Saturday, you know, but still at that point already getting those resume building victories, you know, to where they were able to, to punch the ticket to the NCAA championship. So it just goes to show, you know, momentum is everything when it comes to, to college basketball. And, you know, sometimes you can just flip a switch and it helps when you have a player as transcendent as Miles Powell. And when you have blue guys like Jared Roden, like Miles Kale, like Sandra Mamakashvili, as they were pivotal pieces in pulling out this victory. The Pirates, when they needed it most, two games at home to finish their regular season against the two best teams in the Big East, and they run the table. They finish 9-9 nine and nine in Big East play. And what a week for the Pirates. Two statement victories, and you can say... With a ton of confidence, this team is going dancing for the fourth straight year. So now that we're winding down towards the end of this Pirate Rewind episode, I just want to ask you guys, where does this game rank among your favorite Seton Hall games? And why do you think this game stands out nearly two years later? Or excuse me, over two years later. I'll start off with this one. This game for me ranks second on... Games, I, I'll say games I've been a part of because that's at least what I can trigger a memory from. The reason why it's second for me is the, the game that is number one is the St. John's Seton Hall game, the Big East tournament game from this year. You could say it's recency bias, sure, but I just feel like that game to me, maybe it's because I was actually on the call as opposed to being in studio, I don't know, but I just think because it went to overtime, it's a little different, but the reason why people remember this Villanova game is because I'll just call a spade a spade. People didn't think Seton Hall was going to win this game. They thought it was going to be so hard for them to carry the momentum from that Marquette game and then transfer it over to Villanova. The reason why I also think it's this game against Villanova was so important two and a half years later, it was the start of spring break. So, there were a lot of people there, don't get me wrong, but a lot of students went home for spring break. So the fact that they still had a loud crowd there supporting the team, whether it was alumni or actual students who were enrolled in the school at the time, that just went to show how big of a game it was and people were willing to sacrifice. Because I remember having conversations with people who were saying, oh, no, I'm going to go to the game, then go home for spring break. That game was that big, and it meant so much. So the win, it was the cherry on top, icing on the, icing on the cake. Whatever analogy you want to say, that's what it was. Because beating Villanova, I, I, I'll let you go on there soon, but I, I want to say this. People always say Seton Hall and Villanova, that's our biggest rivalry. Personally, and this may be controversial, I don't necessarily consider a rivalry because Villanova has been in the driver's seat for so long, but I would say this is the most meaningful game every single year that Seton Hall plays. I think that's a better way to put it. 
Villanova is Seton Hall's most meaningful opponent. I think that's the best way to put it because rival, it just hasn't been a rivalry. But getting a win against your most meaningful opponent, there, there's nothing better, Wilner. Yeah, and I mean, I, I completely agree with that sentiment that you said at the end. I think rivalry, you you kind of need, I feel like, I, I don't, I want to ask somebody like at Villanova, like who do they consider their biggest rival? Because I feel like it's a, it's a one-sided thing because we're, we're all like, oh yeah, we're like Seton Hall. Like we, we think about 2016 when, when Seton Hall beat Villanova in the Big East tournament. We, we think about, of course, this game. We think about even the road game um, at Villanova where Seton Hall was finally able to, to break that, that losing streak that they had in Pennsylvania. So I, I just don't, I don't, I, I know for Seton Hall, like we say that Seton Hall is, if you say, oh, who's your rival, you're going to say Villanova. I want to know what it is on the flip side. If Villanova considers Seton Hall their rival or if they consider somebody else like Creighton, I don't know. But in terms of, of your question, having on where does this game rank among my personal favorites, I, I want to say it's outside the top three just because of how many games that I've been on in terms of even like men's basketball, if we're going just specifically men's basketball, because of course there's the Butler game that, that I called at home, you know, and, and the way that Butler was able to come back at the end of, the, of that game and then seeing Sandra Mamakelis really hit the game winner. That, that was the game that I was on. The Villanova game at, at, on the road that I, I've mentioned, you know, me and Bob were on that game and, and seeing Seton Hall shut down that Villanova crowd early on was, was definitely a, a spectacular game to see. And then on top of that, too, of course, Seton Hall beating Kentucky earlier on in that season, just because I feel like that matchup, like, like nobody expected that to happen whatsoever. And especially the way the end of that Kentucky game happened where, you know, Seton Hall thought they had it in, in regulation and then Kentucky hits that half court shot to send it to overtime. Like, like there's this, there, there's a lot of games that, which is unfortunate for me to, I, I don't want to say unfortunate, but there's a lot of games that I've been on where it's hard for me to say, you know, if this game is one of my top three, I will say in terms of Hall line though, and in games that I've been on Hall line, definitely, this is the best game that I've been on on Hall on because of the, the, the magnitude of conversations that we had. Like, of course, we're, we're talking about basketball, but when we had Enzo from Bayonne talking about his, the meatballs that he was eating on, on, on National Meatball Day or whatever, you know, we, we had somebody from Seton Hall calling and, and, and you know, <laughs> the, the stuff that happened on that end where, where I, I, I slid my, my Twitter and, and stuff like that. But, <laughs> you know, that's, that's a separate conversation for another day. Like, like in terms of, of, of high-class memories and in terms of, of, of outside the game, I, I would say this is definitely one of my favorite games, just being on Hall Line, just because of how long Hall Line was, just the conversations that we were able to have, like, it wasn't just about basketball. And I felt like, you know, a lot of times when you listen to sports talk radio, you know, they're not talking about sports hundred percent of the time. Like you're talking about outside of life stuff too. And I felt like that hall line definitely had a lot of that flavor in it in terms of the actual game itself. I would say maybe men's basketball is outside of, of, of the top three. And then if we're going even other games, if we're just going Seton Hall athletics, I don't even know where I'll rank that, but 
I, I guess in terms of, of personal, that's why, you know, this sticks out with me because of, of Hall line and because of just the conversation that we were able to have in terms of, of Seton Hall and, and the fan base. Again, I felt like that streak, you know, when Seton Hall lost that three straight, everybody was just like giving up on the team. It was just like, okay, this is an NRT team, like whatever, we'll see you next year. Like hopefully they make the NCAA tournament next year. And then you get that game against Marquette where, you know, everybody's like, okay, the team's maybe figured it out. And then you have that game against Villanova where it's like, okay, this is the team. Okay, they figured it out now. And again, that that three five games streak of Marquette, Villanova, Georgetown, Marquette, and then even Villanova again in the Big East tournament, I felt like that's probably the best five-game streak that you're going to see in terms of sports and in terms of just, you know, storylines and, and, and the way that the game goes and the ebbs and flows of a game and – and you, you got everything that you wanted in that five-game streak. And then, of course, the NCAA tournament, that's absolute bonkers to me. I, I still hate Fletcher McGee. I, I don't understand just how he was able to perform the way that he did. And then going to play Kentucky, he just decided he didn't want to show up, that he just kept his stuff on the bus. But that five-game streak was absolutely significant. And I think, you know, that's definitely why it's still in the memories of, of Seton Hall fans to this day, just because of how – big that was and just you didn't know what you was going to get in those games yeah I mean you guys you summed it up just as as only you guys could I mean I think because of my role at the station at the time I don't have the emotional attachment that you guys have to the game because you know being a hall line is way different compared to being an AP and, you know, just getting to interact with the fans. And obviously you guys paid just so much more attention to seeing all sports at the time. You guys put the work in, but, you know, in, in watching the game as, as a basketball fan, it was poetic. Just, just watching that heavyweight fight. Like you can't not be entertained, you know, with something of that magnitude and then being able to sit in, you know, for Hall Line afterwards and picking up phones and being able to interact and listen to you guys talk to the fans. I'm like, man, you know, this is this is pretty cool. You know, just all these people calling in, just hyped, screaming out of their minds, just talking about whatever. You know, Hall Line after a win is way better than Hall Line after a loss. Like, I can't, I can't stress it enough because Hall Line after a loss – Man, you, it just makes you feel like you want to crawl into a hole and die sometimes, knowing you got to be <laughs> answering calls for like an hour. But after a win, man, sometimes it makes you feel like you could be there two or three hours and you wouldn't care. It's because you're riding that high, that, that euphoria of a victory, you know. So as far as where this would rank, like all time for me, for seeing all games, like as a fan, it's definitely up there. As a broadcaster, obviously, I wasn't on that game, so I can't rank it that way. But, you know, just in terms of games that like, I've been involved in in some capacity, I'd say it's, it's up there. You know, that game, this past season, the game we had against Villanova when, you know, Sandro almost tied it up off that to call Molson 75-foot pass. And, you know, the, the, the St. John's women's game from, I believe that's two seasons ago now, you know, which will be on a Pirate Rewind episode you know, in the near future, you know, just like just so many moments, so many memories. But I think this game and the the joy it brought, you know, the, the, the people of South Orange, the fan base, 
the 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 sports staff members at the station, you know, picking up these back-to-back ranked wins, it really restored the feeling and it, it gave us something to believe in. And, you know, it, it gave us that that feeling, that energy, and it was super necessary heading into the tournament. And as we saw then, the Pirates built on that momentum, got all the way to the tournament championship and just came up short, you know, in their quest to raise another banner. But from that season, the Pirates rose from the ashes and has snagged a regular season championship the very next year. So this goes to show, like I said earlier, momentum is everything in college basketball. And this game, you know, where, where Trenton, you know, Trenton's finest, Moss Powell, left his fingerprints all over this one. Momentum was everything, to say the least. So that'll do it for this episode of Pirate Rewind for my magnificent analyst, Warner Lewis, Michael Daly, for our producer, Jordan Mickens, pressing the buttons behind the scenes. I have been your host for this episode, Heaven Hill, saying so long and take care.